0: Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio.
1: Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.
0: I'm in a period of emotional upheaval.
1: I all the owl, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13 May be inappropriate for children under 13 Now streaming exclusively on Termount Plus Hold on to your butts We are changing the course of history as we see it That is what Westman demands Now this affects Iris um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you
0: I do not entertain hypotheticals The world as it is is vexing enough Iris, I have a tip for you
1: Or Whatever
0: Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 1995. Seven. (laughs) Is it technically spelled with the number 7? Because I searched for it on IMDb and just writing in 7 with a V doesn't come up with anything. People are nerds. But it's very seven recursive. I love that word because it's seven days and seven deadly sins.
1: You're saying the movie takes place over the course of seven days? Yeah. What? Doesn't it? I don't think so. John Doe orchestrates this thing. So where he's with gluttony and stuff, I mean, and and Eli Gould, the greed lawyer, and he spends days upon days with them. Like cooking a masterful murder meal, could he juggle all those things at the same time so that they would all die on cue and be found appropriately one day after the next?
0: Well, we get the day lower thirds, Monday, Tuesday through Sunday.
1: Really? All right, that's convenient.
0: I mean, he is an arch villain, right? So wouldn't put it it past him.
1: Is this the inverse of God creating the earth in seven days?
0: (laughs) Well, Jonathan Doe sees himself as an emissary of God.
1: Did you just respectfully refer to him as Jonathan? Young Jonathan Doe.
0: (laughs) Not played by Keanu Reeves for once. So they respectfully kept Kevin Spacey's billing off of the opening credits. Like he's supposed to be a surprise?
1: Yes. Apparently this was Kevin Spacey's thing.
0: So he's like typecast is like the gimpy killer.
1: I guess if you want to be all ableist about it. But uh, for a limping character or whatever, he sure evades mills in the rain when they Hell go yeah. to his apartment.
0: Good point. That is one of the best chase sequences in a movie. And it took me by such surprise. Oh, my gosh. When they were they're like chit chatting the hallway and he's like, use your silver tongue. And then when Kevin Spacey's faceless man <laughs> like fires at them in the hallway, I jumped. I screamed and jumped.
1: You just screamed in your own home?
0: I was not expecting that at all. Remember we talked about how horror films are often horrifying because our protagonist is like in peril and we're like we feel for them. Well, Seven's this weird opposite horror film where our protagonists are I mean they're not oblivious. They're like they're like in denial about the imminent danger or apathetic, you know, to tie into the film's theme. Or they're, like, just stubbornly not acknowledging the imminent danger that they're constantly in.
1: They're hard-boiled gumshoes.
0: But it makes this thrilling film, this thriller, I guess you could call it, it's, like, got this weird, dramatic irony scariness. We're scared, but I'm like, why aren't they more scared? Why aren't they more on their toes? Why doesn't Mills see the wrath that he's bringing upon himself?
1: Because he can't see, Mills can't see Fincher's editing and all the doom and gloom. He can't see what we see. I mean, this movie ratchets it up to eleven, right? The tension.
0: Yeah, and it's there—just a like casual nature about going and knocking on John Doe's door—that like just put me at ease. Like, all right, we're just, you know we're just following protocol. We're just following an interesting lead, and then this amazing chase scene ensues, and it was really well done, scary and intense, and, and probably really easy for Kevin Spacey to do because I think he was all stuntmen.
1: Yeah, I guess so. But you know who didn't have a stuntman? Morgan Freeman. Nope, cause he didn't do much. But Mills, Brad Pitt ain't got no stunt man in this scene. Cause as you may or may not know, that chase changed his entire life. How so? Jumping over the car in the rain, cause it was always raining. Put his hand through the windshield. Went all the way down to tendon and bone. Ooh. So they sewed him up. That was the reason he was in the cast for the entirety of the movie. Uh, they worked it into the script. He was, I guess, supposed to get injured, but I think it was his head, as opposed to his arm. But they rolled with it. He even completed that take, and then they didn't. They didn't use it. No. Yeah. Wow. Pretty gnarly. And uh, and yeah, he still bears the scar because it was a it was a major deal. They had to take away, take the cast off of the front part of his hand and cover it with a sleeve so he could act later. You could see it's all purple and jacked up. And then he did a lot of the uh, stuff that was meant to be earlier in the film, hand in pocket and and kind of conspicuously. So if you know what you're looking for.
0: Oh, I definitely didn't know. They did a great job covering it up, but then he was probably all like tough guy and like appropriately scarred up when he went into Fight Club and he gets all shirtless.
1: Yep, also David Fincher. This was uh David Fincher's real breakout. He did Alien 3, but that wasn't received terribly well, but this kind of solidified him as exactly this type of genre filmmaker. So, like The Big Short with Adam McKay, when Fincher is like, "You know what I'm going to do?" The Facebook movie. People are <laughs> like, "Oh, oh okay." <laughs> so he did that, but it was still pretty Fincher. I mean, it didn't have the gore and stuff, but it was, uh, there was some dread and there was some, uh, some suspense.
0: Yeah, it's such a hallmark of a great filmmaker when they have the ability to ratchet up the suspense or sustain the suspense over a long period of time.
1: Yeah, that undercurrent really drives a, a film forward sometimes when nothing else does. Not to say that Seven is empty otherwise, but it definitely helps. But when people are talented... They can break out of those genres that, you know, defy the conventions, and sometimes they surprise you. Sometimes it goes really badly, but sometimes you're happy with the result, the big short, and for me, the social network.
0: Wouldn't you say that Mank's a pretty big diversion for him, too?
1: Yeah. I mean, I sort of forgot a little bit about Mank, but yeah, you do you, David Fincher. Like I said, during the Mank Review, I'm glad there are David Fincher films in the world. You keep doing you. But, uh... Seven comes heavy with devotees and the concept of Seven Deadly Sins as a killer seems like ready-made studio fair. They'd be like, that's a strong theme. That's awesome. Let's try to get DiCaprio or something. (laughs) But the actual execution wasn't such an easy sell for Andrew Kevin Walker. So the legend has it that the studio got a hold of the script and they were like, man, that's a good script kind of dark, let's change the ending maybe so that the only breath of sunshine, as Brad put it, in this entire movie's head doesn't end up in a box. Spoiler, if you don't know what's in the box, you, you don't belong here.
0: I hadn't seen 7 until this review, and I knew it was in the box.
1: Yeah, you have to. But you have to get around that, and 7 has enough in there to keep you, it's well worth seeing, even if you're spoiled. And you can't say that about all movies, but they wanted to change it. And apparently, legend has it that the original script, the original draft, was accidentally sent to David Fincher. And when he found out that the studio was interested in changing it, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So if you want me, then it goes with this ending. This is what drew him to the picture. Brad Pitt, likewise threatened to walk I think even Morgan Freeman did who they were trying to get and they were worried that it would be a little bit too down for him too dark for him but apparently he was really enthusiastic and they all formed a unified front and said we are going to make this movie with this ending or we bounce and so the studio relented
0: interesting yeah Morgan Freeman is what I think they were trying to make Denzel Washington in The Little Things he's the retiring or on his way out detective the hard-boiled gumshoe who's seen it all who is attuned to the details of a crime who's removed themselves personally from the atrocities because that's the only way that they can cope with the horrible things that they've seen and i i mean dare i say morgan freeman does it right like morgan freeman's so great in this role and he's so morgan freeman at the same time
1: am i wrong wasn't it the little things that brought us to seven
0: well i figured it was also part of your re-education Seven came out in a pocket of time where I wouldn't have seen a movie like Seven. So you were like, you know, I'm going to indoctrinate you.
1: I didn't suggest this movie for review. You did.
0: Uh, well, no, you may not have overtly suggested it, but you asked if I had missed it.
1: Because Seven comes with the zeitgeist. I mean, this is the most quintessentially 90s death of grunge movie I've ever seen.
0: <laughs> uh, unpack that.
1: I mean, you consider when this this movie came out in 95, probably during filming, Kurt Cobain was off shooting himself in the head in Washington somewhere. The grunge thing was kind of over. Everybody was jaded. I mean, Michael Massey is in this movie, for God's sake. He's the guy who uh, Brad Pitt's like, do you like your job? And he was like the owner of the sex club where the lust crime occurred. He's the dude who killed Brandon Lee in The Crow. He literally killed the actor, Brandon Lee, unintentionally, with the prop gun that was loaded with the uh, the fake bullet tip. And he was all broken and took some time off of acting. And here he is in Seven, which is the darkest movie he could possibly come back to do. Whoa. Uh, We reached a tipping point. I think 7 fits nicely into 1995 because just a couple years later, things started to get rosy again, maybe fakely so. And the boy bands and Britney Spears and Junk emerged. But this was the death rattle for grunge music and culture. And it was pretty bleak.
0: Hmm. What were the rosy films that followed?
1: Uh, Didn't all the late 90s, She's All That's, Never Been Kissed, blah, blah, blahs, Ever Afters. Didn't that all happen in the late 90s?
0: So like... The rise of the romantic comedy was like a reaction to grunge movies.
1: I mean, these are, like I said, genre pictures for David Fincher because 1995 also saw You've Got Mail.
0: <laughs> wow, the shiniest romantic comedyist, Tom Hanksist movie ever.
1: It's just, it's, this is, a, Seven was a different picture and it endures, like I said, for different reasons for different people. Like you said, quintessentially Morgan Freeman. And I think this may have been the reason that his voice had such gravitas and and was recognized as being useful in other applications.
0: Why? Because of just like the wisdom and steadiness that he exudes in this movie? in seven yep
1: which was a studio mandated or heavily requested pickup that they did after the original ending was just too dark i mean spoiler mills shoots doe and walks off into the bleak desert of his future existence and that was the end of the picture and they were like no let's get somerset back in and have him speak a little bit about the bleakness of humanity and how maybe he's the last vestige of hope even though he's the candle in the dark but uh Even for Brad Pitt, this is Brad Pitt's first ugly movie. Despite being the sexiest man alive, I think because of this movie, he had just come off Legends of the Fall. So when they're shaving their chest to have the wire before they escort Doe out into the desert, he refused to take his shirt off. Morgan Freeman doesn't have a shirt on, but Brad Pitt has a shirt on while he's shaving his chest. What's that about? Because he was all like, "Mm, no, I did the pretty boy thing. I don't want to do the shirtless scene in this movie, so I'm going to keep my shirt on. And he rolled from seven into 12 monkeys. And that was Brad Pitt getting grittier. Brad Grit. <laughs> Brad Grit. <laughs> You're just casting off the pretty boy aspersions and going full on Fincher Fight Club seven kind of idea.
0: Huh. All pretty boys have their... I mean, that's like, um, what's Jared Leto's first ugly movie?
1: Probably Fight Club.
0: Huh. So it was all about pretty boys getting gritty, but also taking their shirts off.
1: If you can call Edward Norton a pretty boy. But... We get a little bit away from it. You remember you talked during Sling Blade, our Sling Blade discussion, about how at the time in your life, you were kind of avoiding movies that were going to bring your life down. Yeah. That were a little bit too much into the darker theme. And for Sling Blade, I was like, really? Sling Blade? But Seven, that seems to fit perfectly. Like, if I were (laughs) a parent to an impressionable, like, 16-year-old or something, I'd be pretty apprehensive about Seven.
0: Yeah, but you're mom and dad's child, so would you really? Because we had zero censorship in our home. Zero.
1: As far back as I can remember, I was watching Eddie Murphy Raw. Exactly. I'm just saying that seven is a lot. And as I get older, as I shift to a more mature perspective, because I know seven very well. As an adult, I'm like, that's super dark. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in,
0: loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics in Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. But the characters don't play it that way. They're not oppressed by the darkness, they're not afraid of it, they're not even that surprised by it.
1: Nope. But it is reflective of that time, and the point I was making earlier was that it endures for people in a very specific way, and it made its mark for sure. Going back to Denzel Washington in The Little Things, I agree, because Denzel Washington was up for the Mills role, being much younger at the time. He wouldn't have fit for the Somerset role, and he turned it down, because it was really dark for a Denzel Washington movie, and he said he regretted it. Maybe he's chasing the Somerset-style role as he gets older, and The Little Things was evocative of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least from what I can tell, critics seem positive, but not they're not overly heaping praise on Seven. But the popular opinion is like, this is one of the best movies ever made.
1: As a teenager, I watched anything and everything, and the grittier, the better. The dirtier, the better. The more graphic, the better. And I told myself that I was desensitizing myself to all this stuff. Because if I'm able to watch and derive enjoyment from a film like Seven, I can watch anything. And that works up to a point. So Kelly's kid brought home a boy and we were talking and this is the first time Kelly's meeting her kid's boyfriend and I was playing like the bad cop role and I was firing questions at him just to keep him on his toes and also to kind of be a jerk. So I said, if there's any band you could see living or dead, who would it be? And without hesitating, the kid said Eminem. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Not what you want to tell the daughter's mom. So if Paloma brought home a dude and you were like so like what kind of movies? I do a movie podcast. What's your all-time favorite movie? I'd be like Seven. Dude, I love that movie. I love experiencing the worst of humanity. Wouldn't that be a little bit disconcerting?
0: Uh it would definitely send off some alarm bells.
1: If you love Seven as an adult now, I'd have to be like, how come? <laughs> like love seven i get that it's an extremely well-made film i get that it's brad pitt as we had never seen him and morgan freeman as prime morgan Morgan freeman i guess even kevin spacey i mean knowing what we know now he's appropriately icky
0: he was always kind of smarmy though
1: but i mean he played a lead he was the hero in american beauty also kind of a gross movie yeah and not I and mean, hero take it easy Right. But I mean, it's these are the movies with the underbelly and he was meant to be the sympathetic character. But I don't know. I'm just trying to remember, recall the hopeless emo zeitgeist of the 1990s, mid 90s.
0: When you watched Seven the first time, if you can recall, were you like, dang, that was a good movie?
1: Nope. I clearly remember it. It was a VHS copy because I didn't see it in the theater and I turned it off and said, I didn't like that. Like, I feel gross. I feel bad bad about the world bad about humanity and as many movies when you don't have the greatest initial reception to it upon revisiting it you find all kinds of other things to enjoy seven has great things about it but i didn't like the feels i got the first time around
0: so you were emo about it
1: well what isn't it kind of more emo to love it to love seven and the death (laughs) and the and the and the pain and the hurt and the deep-seated vileness of humanity
0: Emo is just to feel it, and it sounds like it made an impact on you.
1: And it's not to say that Seven is an evil movie, because both Mills and Somerset are at least pure in their intentions. Uh, Somerset is super jaded, and Mills is too dumb and too young to know any better, but it has a moral grounding while at the same time not shying away from anything that would be horrifying. Seven might have been a lesser movie had we seen what was in the box.
0: Yeah, you're right. It doesn't shy away from anything, but it's really judicious in what he does show and what he doesn't show.
1: Right. And and I would say the sentiment is more than easily conveyed that sort of feeling of despair. So, I mean, not connecting with it thematically in that way where I'm like, I want it to be more awful. I would watch the great things about it, which is the heart that it has, the light side of Mills being kind of goofy doofy and funny and Somerset, you know, him lightening up when he meets Tracy. It's all the more tragic when he has a connection with her, when Gwyneth Paltrow is the ray of sunshine in this movie, and then it all gets so bleak so quickly. But while they're investigating these horrible murders, it's not just a procedural crime drama that's dark start to finish. Like there are lighter moments and real moments of humanity, which serve to really drive the, the stake through our heart at the end.
0: What's that boxing movie with um, Jake Gyllenhaal?
1: Uh, Southpaw.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like when they introduce Rachel McAdams. She's such a perfect character and she's such a ray of light in his life. She's going to die.
1: <laughs> Man, that's dark.
0: But it's true. like apparently it only makes a death will make a greater impact on you if the person was like a saint. And Gwyneth Paltrow's got some concerns and she's little and she's not terribly happy where she is, but like they entered she's like a saint. she's all, she's like glowing gossamer fabric you know, she patiently supports her husband who has, who's poised and ready to, I'm, you know, you don't want, he doesn't want to give it to me. And yet he is so kind of like childish in his home life and with his wife. And she's like, I'm going to support him and I'm going to take care of the kids. Don't worry. The kids are sleeping. And would you like some wine? And here's the homemade dinner I made. I mean, she's just a little, she's a little one dimensional kind of saintly and which I guess makes her a good sacrifice. I mean, she's just more of a device. They use her to show a completely different side of Somerset. They use her to expose Mills's weakness. Mills references her and how much she means to him in casual courses of conversation. And then right before Kevin Spacey turns himself in, they like put in this little great detail where they're like, your wife called. Get an answering machine. And you're like, oh, man, he just missed her.
1: I mean, you can't deny the great last scene and the gut punch that was, I guess, could be considered a twist. But otherwise, despite me saying that there was lots of lighter stuff and some character moments, I didn't feel that Mills or Somerset were all that one-dimensional. If anything, John Doe was, because we never really got inside his head other than those notebooks, which, by the way, is the one thing that sticks out to me, uh, meticulously crafted. I mean, I think they paid props department like 15 grand to flesh out each one of those notebooks individually by hand, Oh, well. like in that tight little scary serial killer script, and Ew. they filled all those notebooks with crazy time. And so that was interesting, just to level and attention to detail. But otherwise, it was a fairly standard crime procedural that was really graphic and really dark. And I think that this movie endures because of the gut punch of an ending. So I'm led to question what this movie, how this movie would have endured had it been changed by studio design. The one that sticks with me is we see Morgan Freeman contemplating life and he's got his switchblade and he throws it into the dartboard, which apparently he bought only for that switchblade because there are no darts anywhere. But I distinctly remember, and in my research ahead of this review, I couldn't find anything about it, but I distinctly remember the original, quote unquote, alternate ending of, of which there were apparently several that in the original ending, Mills does decisively move towards John Doe to kill him. And Somerset flips out the, uh, the switchblade, throws it at Mills and sticks him in the arm or diverts the shot or something. And so that was setting up that ending. And I'm not sure if that ending was ever on paper, but that was the, I mean, you figure if a switchblade appears in act one, it's going to get stuck in someone in act three, right? And it never happened but I did find out about other endings where Somerset says I'm retired and I'm out of here and so he shoots John Doe in the head because it becomes obvious that Mills was gonna do it whereas Mills has a whole future ahead of him. There was another ending where John Doe kidnaps Tracy and once they neutralize John Doe they race to save Tracy before she dies or something. There was another ending where it was a Mills one of his dog's heads in the box but the point is the movie was building towards something. The ambiguity of the ending and I feel like that knife scene is a little bit out of place after the fact because we were setting it up for no reason so I wonder you know why that was kept in and what it applied to and how much this movie would have changed if the ending had changed.
0: It's interesting that you're calling attention to the dartboard scene because he does use the switchblade as a utility knife to cut off the back of the painting that was reversed or that was hung upside down And yeah. but Mills specifically says
1: what's that? Technically, I guess he opens the box with the two at the end. Oh yeah. what other movie were we talking about where you were saying that once we set off on a journey, you know the inevitability. It was it was soul as a matter of fact. where you said that once we go back to the real world, where um, Joe and twenty two are switched, then you know that we have to go back to the other world to switch back inevitably, right? right? So once we embark on this journey of each one of the sins being committed, you're like, oh man, he says, this, this isn't going to quit. There's going to be seven of these. I can't have this be my last case. And you're like, yeah, we got to go through seven of these horrible tortures of kind of implausible blah blah blah, blah where Somerset discovers little slivers of linoleum in, in the big guy's stomach that he links to the fridge being pulled away from the wall, or that someone on the off chance in the course of the investigation while his other plans proceeding while he's got all these other murders on the back burner would notice hey that picture is upside down and maybe we pull it off the wall and maybe there's a fingerprint back there like it was not altogether seamless as a movie other than our emotional investment and how our guts are ripped out at the end
0: like if you weren't emotionally invested in it then you would feel like oh that was convenient if the movie was relying too heavily on the plot
1: I mean, Seven kicks you in the butt emotionally, but I wasn't emotionally invested for any of the murders. It was procedural. And I was like, that sucks. So that's how they're going to find the, the guy. OK. And it's a cat and mouse where you never know who the cat, who's the cat and who's the mouse. But the elaborate nature of the murders. Like, if he had gone and found people who were committing those sins egregiously and held them up as an example or killed them, but he didn't find the guy who was into, you know, rape, torture or whatever, and then kill that dude. He made the dude put the gun to his head and told him to bone the girl, and she, you know, died as a result. Was that a
0: knife penis? And
1: yeah, and so, and the big guy was big, and, and I guess that's a crime, but also he made him eat until he died. I don't know, it was just, it seemed like faux profundity, and in a lesser, this would have been straight to video in a lesser director's hands. It's all boiling down to why Seven deserves recognition and preservation in the, the National Film Registry or something, you know, as being aesthetically or culturally significant. <laughs>
0: All of what you were just saying was making me think about Kevin Spacey's character and how he sees himself as an instrument of, of justice and of righteousness. And he's telling Mills and Somerset in the car about how we accept or are apathetic toward the everyday sins around us, not necessarily sins against other people, but also sins against ourselves. And I mean, I'm not saying the dude wasn't cray cray, but like, don't we think that he's crazy because we are apathetic and think that there's nothing we can do about it?
1: I mean, I can easily grant that. It's definitely crazy and definitely gross. This movie is, it's not about this movie being graphic as much as it is the horribleness of the truth that I'm reticent to simply acknowledge and dismiss. It points a finger at every one of us and says, you're horrible as part of a horrible world. And it was that message which makes it bleaker than I'm prepared to love. (laughs)
0: And it's that message, I think, that makes the ending the appropriate ending, right? When we talk about the ending of seven, it seems to bring up the topic of whether it's satisfying and it can be satisfying on different levels. Like, is it satisfying from a personal perspective where you feel like justice has been served or this movie has confirmed something about the way I see things or the way I feel then on the other side, there's is the movie satisfying as an ending that is consistent with what the whole movie builds up to. And in the at the top of the third act, John Doe is like, I've done something that people are going to remember that no one is going to forget. And you're like, mm, that's wow. Filmmakers are really setting themselves up for a disappointment there. Like, what is he possibly going to do that's really going to blow our minds? And then the movie kind of kind of does, though,
1: right? Mm, absolutely. Even though we're set up, it's like, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to hit you. And then when he hits us, you're like, dude, you hit me. And that gut punch is like a nut punch.
0: Like it hurts and makes you feel sick?
1: Yeah. Like you can get punched and be like, ow, you hit me in the ear. And then shake it off and be like, well, Jesus, I'm sorry. And no, it's great. And then you punch them back. But if you get hit in the nuts, then you have to sit down and think about it. And it sticks with you for too long. And it messes up everything else inside you. It can't be compartmentalized. You start to question your future ability to, ha- to have kids and stuff. It's just messed up. Seven is a nut punch.
0: And therefore you give and, and
1: yet I cannot tell you the joy I've taken in my entire life from watching other nut punches on YouTube.
0: Yeah, I don't understand why dudes do that. There has to be some latent, latent like, I want to touch your nuts because... going on there, right?
1: Because we're horrible people, because the people who love seven are horrible because and yet you're just one of the many horrible people in the world.
0: It appeals to our horrible natures, but we feel like maybe we can rise above them a little bit or something.
1: I guess. Like the big short, we try to climb on top of the heap of bodies, but it's still a heap of bodies. And we can only feel so good about ourselves to be on some kind of moral high ground looking down at the people who love seven.
0: So did you find what you were looking for? I did. Do you understand yourself and Seven better?
1: It is hard to accept that Seven is a good movie, which it undoubtedly is. It's not a bad movie. It's just a good movie about bad things. And you have to, I personally have to examine this movie critically enough to say, I love this and this and this and not this. And as an aggregate, that makes for a good movie. I'm going to give Seven an all right review
0: an all right
1: is it necessary absolutely not does it bear repeat viewings 100 percent. but it's not one of my favorites but culturally it is significant and specifically a movie for its time what is your rating of seven
0: (laughs) i thought you summed it up pretty nicely what did you say a good movie about bad things it was i mean it was really well done and it achieved what it set out to achieve and I think it was an important movie for me to have seen to understand Fincher's body of work because it was a big piece missing, a big connective piece missing, N- not to mention Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. It holds up despite knowing a lot about it, despite going in knowing what's in the box. So yeah, I give seven a good. And that's our review on David Fincher's 1995 debatable masterpiece. Seven, 818-835-0473. Or whatevermovies at gmail.com. How do people support us, Wes?
1: you got to go to Instagram, find us, or whatever movies, and subscribe.
0: All right, well, thank you for listening to our review on 7. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope that you will subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.
1: Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electricast. Acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. I got
0: this chair. No, this is my dad.
1: My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again.